Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford, and this week we're learning all about how publishers can make puzzles pay. And joining me in the studio, we have Press Gazette reporter Bron Mayer. Hi, Bron. Hi, Dom. How are you today? Very well. Puzzles. Puzzle me this. How does the New York Times make puzzles pay? You've spoken to the top guy at the New York Times, Jonathan Knight, haven't you, to find out about, you, you give me the background, but puzzles have become big, big business at the New York Times, haven't they? Yeah, so I spoke to Jonathan Knight, who's the head of games at the New York Times. And basically, I'd say the New York Times has always been reasonably well known for its games. Its crossword has had a following for a long time, and you might have seen people online sharing their scores on another New York Times game called Spelling Bee. But it went stratospheric last year when the New York Times bought Wordle, which is a word puzzle created by Welsh software engineer Josh Wardle. I know you haven't played the game, Dom, but basically Wordle involves you take six guesses at what that day's five-letter word is, and each time you guess, it'll tell you if any of the letters that you guessed were correct. There's a little more to it than that, and it's worth a play, in part because it's very intuitive, but also because, at least for now, it's free. So I went to Jonathan Knight and I asked, how is this paying? And Jonathan Knight's background, he's not from the New York Times, he's not from journalism. He used to, for example, he was in charge of the Sims franchise when they shipped Sims 2. In short, the answer is, it's a really good way of both bringing in new subscribers and getting them to stick around. Yeah, puzzles have always been a big part of the package, haven't they, for, uh, for newspapers? Crosswords yeah. going back ages back to Sudoku, I don't know, Word Search. There's a whole load of games, aren't there, in, in weekend supplements that, pe- that people enjoy. Yeah, well, look, let's hear from Jonathan then, because, yeah, like you say, yeah. I think the key question is how are they making it pay? Our stated strategy is to be the essential subscription for curious people seeking to understand and engage with the world. And news is at the center of what we do, but increasingly it's this kind of constellation of products that surround the news, with the news being the sun in that analogy. And what we're really finding is that we can just bring a lot more value to our subscribers and engage them and retain them over longer periods of time when we offer a suite of products whether it's cooking, games, The Athletic, where that is the strategy now. And to make it a little more concrete for people who are listening, what is the suite of games that you offer? Yeah, I like to say that we're the bundle within the bundle. (laughs) So 
you know, our games product is built on the crossword and the legendary New York Times crossword. First one ran in 1942, a tough news as it were. And over recent years, we added Spelling Bee, uh, which was originally a, a paper puzzle as well. And we created a really fun digital version of that. So crossword, Spelling Bee really began to show the promise of a portfolio of games. We have a mini crossword, which you can do in under 30 seconds if you're really good. And and then a few other games, Tiles, Vertex, Letterbox. We offer a Sudoku puzzle. And then about one year ago, we acquired Wordle, which was a big acquisition and a big add to the portfolio. Were you involved at all in the negotiations to bring Wordle into the Times? I was indeed. And who do you think got the better deal, you or Josh Wordle? <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to say that. I know that we're really excited and we're really happy with the acquisition. And I don't want to speak for Josh. He, I think, and, and certainly said publicly that he was happy that it landed at the New York Times. He and his partner were fans of our games. He made the game for his partner. He made Wordle for her. And they were playing Spelling Bee. They were playing the New York Times Mini. So I think he saw us as good stewards of the game, and I like to think that we have been. That's been a great fit for our portfolio. Obviously, the way that the bundle works at the Times is you can get everything, or you can get Wirecut, or you can get games, or you can just get news. Is there a large number of people who just go for the games? There is. That's an important audience for us. We're increasingly seeing a lot of success with our New York Times crossword app, which we're rebranding to New York Times Games app this year. And we get really, I would say, very healthy volume of daily, weekly downloads of that app. And a lot of those people are coming to the App Store. They're looking for Crossword. They're looking for Wordle. They want a puzzle game experience. And we call that our games-only funnel. And it's a very healthy and important funnel. We also have people coming in through the news that are adding game subscription, as you said. They want to come for the news, stay for the games. They're often playing in the New York Times app, the news app, where we also have our games playable. And of course, we have a big presence on web and are integrated with the news product there. Our strategy for game, we want to be the premier subscription destination for digital puzzle games. And we want to reach audiences wherever they are and uh, make sure that we offer high quality puzzles across all those surfaces with a unified login. I'm of the understanding that the game subscription helps stop new subscribers, for example, from churning out. Does the Times kind of try and shepherd its news customers towards its game products for that reason, or even vice versa? Both, really, yeah. I think what we're seeing is that for subscribers specifically, if a subscriber is engaged with both news and games on a given week, they just have a much higher likelihood of retaining over a long period of time than news-only subscribers, and frankly, than pretty much any other combination of products in, in our offering. So that news plus games engagement pattern is really healthy for the business. And so we're absolutely like encouraging that and leaning into it. And I know the Times makes some pretty aggressive use of introductory discounts. I don't know whether those apply to the game subscribers as well, but do you see once people get graduated up into the fuller price, are they also sticking around there? We're very happy with that funnel, and we, we feel like those introductory prices, those sales are very healthy for our business. They're a great way for people to get introduced into games, to try them out, see if they like it at a low price. And yeah, we're pretty pleased with the way that funnel works. Is the plan to, is it still to keep Wordle outside the paywall? You never say never with these things. I, know I always get myself into a little bit of trouble with my hesitation around that question. If you were to ask me about the mini or Spelling Bee or any other game, I'd give the same answer. It's hard to predict the future. I will say where Wordle remains free to play and we're really pleased with 
how it's working in terms of being able to introduce that large audience to our other products. We have lots of ideas of what we could do with Wordle to bring more value to users, ultimately to subscribers. At the moment, we're pretty focused on on driving people to create New York Times accounts so that they can capture their stats and street. We have an editorial offering. This month, we're going to be launching something called the Wordle Review. It's like a daily forum on our gameplay vertical on the NewYorkTimes.com where people can go after they solve the Wordle and engage with community, talk about the previous day's word. We have a newsletter that goes out called Gameplay. It's weekly, and it reviews the toughest word of the week as well as the easiest ones. Yeah, there's lots of ways people can engage and talk about the previous day or the previous week's worth of puzzles. And is the new thing, is it supposed to be a forum, kind of user-generated content type thing, or is there going to be like a Times journalist moderating this? Or You'll just have to log in and find out, but it, <laughs> it'll be more the latter initially, and, and we're trying it out, to be honest. We'll see how it goes. We've had a ton of success with our Spelling Bee forum. It just gets like massive traffic. It's got tips and tricks. There's a little grid to help you find more words in the Spelling Bee puzzle. And we get over a thousand comments a day on the Spelling Bee forum. And it's one of the most traffic pages in all of New York Times. So we're excited to see what we can do with the Wordle community as well. About a year ago, when I think around the time that the New York Times bought Wordle. There were a bunch of other puzzle-related things going on. Like I think the Telegraph decided to devote a bunch of a bunch more pages in its Saturday offering to puzzles, and it was interesting just to see this spread to some extent across the industry. Not everywhere, obviously. And I wonder, is that who would you consider your biggest rivals in? It doesn't even have to be a newspaper necessarily, but like in this kind of gaming that you do, is it more I don't know, little app-based things like Words with Friends and stuff, or? Yeah, great question. Not a simple answer. I think in the U.S., we're definitely out in front. We don't feel like we've got a competitor in the news space in terms of our digital puzzle product. You see a lot of Washington Post, LA Times, The New Yorker. They've all got great puzzle offer, but none of them are taking the approach that we're taking with a, a portfolio of like really high-quality, human-created, edited puzzles across different types with games like Spelling Bee and Wordle and, and so forth. So we're pretty far out in front there and also a very large subscriber base. I think we do think about the App Store ecosystem, which tend to be, as you say, like individual games on individual apps. Our hypothesis and our strategy is to offer a collection of highly curated, crafted puzzles, a bundle of puzzles in one app so that you don't have to jump from app to app and download different apps and that you can discover. We don't want to have an app of 30 puzzles. That's not what we're about, but a handful of, like I say, really high quality puzzles for, for different people. We've got a Sudoku, we've got word puzzles and so forth. That's how we're approaching that competitive space. You mentioned the Telegraph. I will say, for the record, it's pretty impressive what they're doing. I mean, they recently launched a new and updated puzzle service. It's on it's on web. They've also got an app to go along with it. They have a unified sort of back end and login where you can play the, the puzzles. They've got a collection of different kinds of crosswords and a mini and a Sudoku. They've got an achievement system that's quite impressive and a cool look and feel that unifies all of it. It's a bit playful. And so... Yeah, we've been watching pretty closely what The Telegraph's doing, and uh, it's quite cool. Hi, I'm Anoush, and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers, and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus, hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. 
Can you explain a little bit more about the human curation aspect that goes into these games? Yeah, we think that's like our superpower, basically. We've got, I think, the best puzzle editorial team in the English-speaking world. Will Shorts has been the editor of the Crossword since 1993 and really set the standard for the New York Times Crossword. We have hundreds of submissions a month coming in, uh, the puzzle constructor community at large. And what happens is that those puzzles come in and then there's a very rigorous editorial review process to to choose the best puzzles. And then our team of editors work with that constructor to really bring it to a whole new level of quality. We have rules around the fill and the grid. We really pioneered this clever clue, clues with a question mark that appear to have one meaning, but they've got a different one and brings a bit of wit and fun. You know, we have the Mondays, which, which are easy and then get more difficult throughout the week. And there's just a lot that goes into that. I will say the other part of that I'm I'm personally really excited about is we've been putting a lot of effort in the last few years in particular into kind of modernizing that editorial process, like making our puzzles more broadly representative, more inclusive, more relevant. We've expanded the editorial team to be a lot more diverse. We have launched a diverse constructor fellowship where five or six crossword constructors apply to the fellowship every year and and they're selected and they're paired with a mentor who works with them and their puzzles ultimately get published. And so we're focused on more debut constructors than ever before. The fellowship focuses on underrepresented constructors. And, you know, that's a big part of what we're doing. Yeah, I'm really proud of our editorial staff and they work really hard and care pretty deeply about the crossword on the point of on the kind of constructor fellowship thing, obviously it's pretty well trodden ground now that like a lot of us understand like having a more diverse newsroom adds value to your journalism. How does that apply on and this is not me being skeptical, but could you explain how that applies with puzzle creation also? Yeah, look, when you solve a crossword puzzle, you've got clues and just to use like a common example, for a long time, there's just a lot of 1930s baseball player clues in there. And for a certain type of audience, a certain demographic, they're going to remember that. Oh, yeah, I knew it was a pitcher for the Yankees in 1933. It, as we expand our audience, as we grow, like that's just not a super relevant clue. And sometimes the same answer could have a number of different clues to get to that answer. And which clue should we use? And pop culture references, cultural references, like all of those things, you'd be surprised at how. And sometimes completely unintentionally, but an editorial staff just has certain life experiences, certain point of view, so historical references, and over time, those puzzles can become too narrowly focused. I guess it also helps grow the funnel if you can have more people who are enjoying the puzzle and feel like they're getting something out of it. That's right. Yeah. Looking towards the future, you bought Wordle for it's generally said to be something in the seven figures. Um Are there any other games that you either have your eye on to buy or things that you're currently working on in-house? First thing I'll say is our goal is to have a small collection of like really high quality puzzles. A, people only have so many hours in the day and we want our puzzles to be time well spent. We're not looking to engage you 24-7. We want like high quality puzzles for you to solve, put down, come back the next day for the next one. So I think it's really important that we we carefully choose the puzzles we're going to support and maintain and uh, at the standard and quality that we want. I'm not expecting to like go on a rash shopping spree of lots of different games. If I could get a, a Wordle every once in a while, I don't need that many new games. Like obviously that's set a very high standard and we don't expect 
there to be like another Wordle anytime soon. We're very focused on Spelling Bee. We're investing a lot in that game this year, and you'll see more features around Spelling Bee, and it continues to grow and uh, and to generate subscribers. So like we've got our plate full. That said, yes, we would love to add you know another game at some point in the future. We have a team prototyping internally all the time, just trying out new ideas. We test them internally. We test them externally. New games are hard to get right. It's audiences are fickle. They like what they like. Sometimes they just play something because everyone's playing it. And how do you manufacture that, right? I'm really excited about a couple of new new games that we've got going. We're going to do beta tests of those games this year. Looking at games in a slightly different way, I don't know if you've seen the Financial Times has been playing around with some kind of, I guess I would call them browser-based choose-your-own-adventure games of a sort or things where it's like, you control the economy and you decide how to approach global warming. Are there any plans of the, uh, the New York Times to get into it, stuff like that? We have a lane that's pretty pretty clearly defined, which is digital puzzle games. And we want our games, our puzzle games, to have solutions. There's one and only one solution. We're all working toward that solution. You get this sort of rush of accomplishment when you find it, and then you put it down and you come back the next day for, for the next puzzle. And they're human curated, they're time well spent. We think our puzzles should be shareable. They're more fun when you're playing with family and friends, but you can also solve them alone. Do you have a go-to start word in Wordle? I do. I tend to cycle through start words. I get bored and then I pick another one and then stick with that for a while. At the moment, I'm on stare, S-T-A-R-E, mm. and it's quite effective. I would say that I, I normally would have moved on by now, but it's working so well that I'm sticking with it. Least is pretty good as well, L-E-A-S-T. I can tell you the most popular starting word, the one that the most people start with, Please do. is adieu. Yep. Mm-hmm. Four vowels. I will tell you it is not the most effective starting word, but it is Ooh. the most used starting word. Is there a is there an official most effective starting word? It is least, according to our Wordle bot. And if you haven't tried the Wordle bot, you can search for it on Google or on the New York Times. And it's a really great webpage that the newsroom actually made, which pulls data from New York Times users. And you can compare your Wordle performance to the rest of the community. And it evaluates choice by choice, which word would have been better and gives you a score and it evaluates luck and skill. And so it's quite cool. And according to Wordlebot, I believe least is the most effective starting word. I feel I understand a bit more now about Wordle and why it's such a big deal, the New York Times. As you said, I've not played it. I think I've heard about a lot of people who play it though. For some reason, people complete it, don't they? And then they tell you that they've completed it on Facebook or Twitter. I don't know why that is, but that's something people do, isn't it? But what, that's what do something you... that Jonathan got at, right? He explained that one of the things, one of the big draws is not to have these kind of single-player games, but to have these games where there's a sociality to it, where they can build up a community. And that just kind of ultimately goes back to the same stuff that we hear a lot of publishers saying right now about you want an engaged audience because an engaged audience is an audience that sticks around. Yeah, so anything which deepens your relationship with the reader, makes them spend more time on your site, is a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing. And I guess the other good thing is that anything which encourages people to join your community, even as either as a subscriber or like a registered user, is a very good thing because it means you can make a lot more money out of it. And it makes for an interesting world too, where like the New York Times has more than a million people who are signed up just to do its games and who aren't getting any of their news products. But again, that's not that new. Just like you were saying earlier, like newspapers have long had a contingent of people who are just 
sticking around for the crossword at the back. It's the whole package, isn't it? Brilliant. What, so what do you think other publishers can learn from the New York Times? Then? Other than, obviously, we'd all like to be as successful as them, wouldn't we? We're probably not going to be. But they're, they're very good, aren't they? They're very good at doing some things well, subscriptions, games. Obviously, they've got a very high-quality product. But what do, you, what do you think the key take-homes from uh, other publishers from their sort of gaming strategy? I guess one of the big things, certainly one of the big things that they emphasize is if you're going to go into games, it sounds like you have to make sure it's, there's a lot of human curation going in. That They say that having these Wordle editors, these crossword communities, they're really key to the success of these puzzles. So you can't, if you're a publisher out there and you're like, ah, oh, maybe I should invest in puzzles too. It sounds like it's not quite as simple as just kind of tacking on a bunch of Sudoku on the end of your paper or your digital offering, as it may be. Yeah, you need to invest some time in building the community. Something that's very on vogue in all areas. Brilliant. Look, thanks, Bron. You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Editor-in-Chief, Dominic Boxford, Bron Mayer, our reporter, and expertly engineered, as always, by Adrian Bradley. You can read more about puzzles and everything else to do with the future of publishing on our website, pressgazette.co.uk. Thanks very much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.